Open up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. That's where we're going to be this morning. I would if I could, but I can't. I would if I could, but I can't. That is the quite possibly most legitimate answer to some of the rather dumb things that parents can say to their kids at times. Knock it off. Knock it off. I would if I could, but I can't. Here's another one that sometimes is said. What's the matter with you? Now, parents don't have a market on that one. Your boss can say that. Your neighbor can say that. Your sibling can say that. Your roommate can say that. What's the matter with you? To which the answer might be, you know, I would really, really like to know. I mean, if you've got any insight, I'm, I'm curious about that myself. I see that look of, of frustration on yourself right now, and I recognize it because I have that same frustration with myself. I don't know what the matter is with me. There's something that goes on in the human condition, and it, and it, it, can, be, it can be characterized as this, cul-de-sac living. What's a cul-de-sac? It's a road that really doesn't go anywhere, right? So you kind of enter into it, and you're forced to just be stuck or drive out and go in a different direction, or, or just kind of go around in circles. And the frustration of not learning from our mistakes, the frustration of just going, man, I've been down this road, I know it's a dead end, and yet I'm still walking this way. What is the matter with me? I mean, don't we tell ourselves these same things? Knock it off! Man, I would if I could, but I can't. So the frustration of cul-de-sac living can kind of bleed into a certain kind of fear. And the fear is this question right here for our title this morning. Is change really possible? I want to challenge you to do something this morning. Don't you sometimes listen to the sermon for someone else? Don't you listen to some things and go, I've got this wired, but man, my spouse could sure use this. So sometimes if they're sitting next to us, we nudge them at just the right point, right? And we try to be the Holy Spirit to them, you know, as we kind of, uh, uh. let's do this. Let's, let's listen to the text. Let's listen to what's being said this morning, really strictly for ourselves. Every one of us has areas in our life right now that we go, man, I'd really, really love to change. Maybe you've been working on it for a long time. Um, I think God has some things to say for, for us this morning. How about some modifiers to this? Not just change, but is lasting change possible? Not just change for a season, but lasting change. How about this one? How about good change? Yeah, change is possible. I'm getting worse and worse. I'm struggling with this more and more. How about this one, is significant change. So not just in the little things that we can kind of manipulate and control, but is significant, good, lasting change possible. You know, as we read the Bible, as I study the ways of God and I look at the life of Jesus, there's something about the light of that that can kind of be crushing. I mean, the more you understand what the right way of living is, isn't there a burden to that? I think sometimes the reason people run from the light is they see how life should be lived in the life of Christ and they go, I can't do that. 
I already know I can't do that. I already feel guilty enough for the things I struggle with. Man, when, when the light of Scripture exposes these are the things that, that we could be walking in, this is what it looks like to walk as Jesus did, it can be crushing to us. I want to read our text this morning, but before I do, it's really important that as we read the Scriptures, not to just read it in isolation and not just get into a place of just, well, the Bible just said it but rather to remember some of the context, remember who was being written to. It was a long time ago that we started this letter and sort of covered some of these things, but here's a quick snapshot. 1 Thessalonians is one of those unique books that we actually have Bible commentary on on what's going on with that church in the Bible. So Acts chapter 17, you don't need to turn there necessarily, but Acts 17 talks about the start of this church in Thessalonica. And so what happens is this. Paul's writing to this young church. That's what this letter is. He's writing back to his friends, this young church that was started, um, and they are in a very difficult cultural setting. Namely, the will of God and the word of God are under attack. Does this sound remotely familiar? It gets better. Thessalonica was a capital city of Macedonia, a Roman province. It was a happening place. It was a place that other people looked to and came to for commerce and ideas. Does this sound familiar? I mean, this young church is is smack dab in the middle of a setting that feels very, very much like home for many of us. Here's how Paul started the church, and we can read this in Acts 17. But he first goes to the synagogue, and he reasons with the Jews there, and he reasons with them from God's word. Now, in New Testament times, what's God's word? It's called the Old Testament, right? The New Testament hadn't been written yet. So he's reasoning with them from the scriptures this. There's a Messiah that's going to come. Yeah, we know that. We're Jews. That's what we talk about a lot. But he's come, and he must... Let me show you from the Scriptures. He must suffer and die and rise again, and he's the Savior. And that person has come in the man Jesus Christ. And here is how the church is born. The church is born when many in that city receive the word of God spoken through Paul. So Paul is preaching God's word... People receive that as truth, and the church is born. Not just Jews, but there are some Gentiles in there, non-Jews, who are God-fearing, and they receive the word. And then the Acts calls this out, that there were some leading women who also received this. And then this deadly threat sort of comes on the church when the Jews who were discipling people and didn't like this message that Paul was preaching about Jesus Christ started to agitate the crowds, and they started to get worked up. Why? Because non-Jewish Gentiles were getting in on God. And you know what they did? They cried foul. That is not going to happen on our watch. So literally a life and death struggle come on where where this ministry team is now under, under threat. And some of the brothers there convinced Paul and Silas to be on their way about 60 miles away to Berea. And then listen to what happens in Berea, okay? Chased out of town because the word of God is under attack. Chased out of town, Acts 17.10 says this, the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, see if this sounds familiar, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. 
One of the powerful things about Scripture is its honoring and, and, and uh, empowering of women. This is happening in a time and, and day and age. It's just remarkable that these things are, are called out. Verse 13 says this, But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was being proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. So this is the setting that 1 Thessalonians is being written to. And when you remind yourselves of this, a few things come into play. Remember last week, the passage, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks to God in all circumstances. Things weren't going just snappy and happy for these guys. It wasn't like this was a time of peace and prosperity and the word of God was flourishing and was looked on with favor in the land. This was a people of persecution. The teacher was under threat of his life teaching these things. Here's what's remarkable when you have the perspective of history, a little bit of time passing. You never know how God may be using the haters in your life to create lasting, significant, good change around the world. Isn't that what was going on? You know what happens at Berea? He gets chased out of there. Where does he go? He goes to this town you may have heard of called Athens. You know what he does there? He preaches the gospel there as well. Understand the historical start of Christianity begins because they were persecuted and forced to leave sort of their Christian safety places, and everywhere they went, they're sharing the gospel. Rejoice always. Yeah, but God, there's haters in my life. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. Why? Because the sovereign God has even this under control. Man, I am so encouraged when I look back on Scripture and I think about history and I just go, God, you've done this over and over and over. You've caused amazing new birth to come out of the ashes. You've caused amazing times of fruitfulness after a season of the desert. Don't you find hope in that? Doesn't that well up in you confidence in God? Now he's closing the letter by spelling out how to please God together as a church and how to live lives individually that honor and please God. Follow along with me. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're looking at the last five verses, but I want to pick it up in context and start in verse 12. It says this. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See to it that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. 
I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. In answer to the question, is change really possible? Here's the answer. Change really is possible with God's help. Change really is possible by God's help. Nodding heads in this room affirm that this is true by personal experience. There's something called grace, right? What is grace? It's the unmerited favor of God. It's the blessing and outpouring of God without earning it, without deserving it. And it's the grace of God that saves us. It's the grace of God that justifies us, put us puts us in right standing with God. It's the grace of God that adopts us into his family and gives us brothers and sisters that are going to last for eternity. But God doesn't leave it there. It's the grace of God that sanctifies us, that grows us into his image. There's a word that I learned in college. I don't remember many Greek words from college. Most of them have flown out of my head and they come back in my head as I study them. But there are a few that kind of stand out. Sanctify is this word, hagiadzo. Isn't that just fun to say? Hagiadzo. Hagiadzo is the word sanctify. And the word sanctify essentially means this. It means to set apart or make holy. It sort of carries this connotation of purifying something, cleansing something, consecrating something. Paul's already discussed and used this word. He says it in 1 Thessalonians 4.3. He says, for this is the will of God. What? Your sanctification. And then he goes on. He's talking very specifically about sexual sin. And he says this, the very, very next line, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Christian, you are set apart for good works. You're set apart. You're not like everyone else. You are purified and consecrated for a holy use. Let's start with your body, he says, and he goes on to spell out what that looks like. So significant, lasting, good change is not only possible, hear this, it is normal and it is promised by God for those who are in Christ. It is the normal Christian life to have significant, lasting, good change go on. In fact, it's evidence, according to James, that the living God is, is in you. That fruit, that changed life, that person who has always been known as impatient and quick-tempered, when that goes away, when that begins to morph, that is evidence. Wow, that person is possessed by the Holy Spirit of the living God. A guy in our men's group this week shared some things, and he, he wrote some things for us on the city, specific ways to pray, and he pointed this out. He said, you know, there's an old person that used to be this way, this way, this way, this way. I've only known him since he's been walking with God. I, I don't see that person in him, but it doesn't shock me that he used to be a completely different person. doesn't shock me. Because we all were something totally different in the flesh, and Christ is forming himself in us. But you know what? That's evidence. The fact that I've never seen that side of him, some of these tricks and things and ways he used to live his life, man, I love it. I go, man, that's just evidence that you're possessed by the Holy Spirit of the living God. Of course that's true. This sanctification is something that shows up in some different ways. 
There's sort of a past, present, and future reality. Look at Hebrews 10.10. It points out that we have been sanctified. There's a sense that we've already been purified. We've already been sanctified. We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. John adds, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. That's Jesus. That's an established reality for a Christian. But the Bible also speaks of a present reality that we are being sanctified. Isn't it true that we are daily dealing with this guerrilla warfare enemy called sin? Of course it is. So we are in the process of 2 Corinthians 7. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. There's a sense that there's a coming sanctification where we'll be perfectly complete for eternity. 1 John 3, Beloved, we are, we are God's children now. <laughs> and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Do you see sort of the now and later life wrapped up in this? When you talk about the word sanctification, it's a pretty robust topic, isn't it? And there's sort of this past reality. There's a present fight going on. And there's a future glory that we are looking forward to. When people say, what's the matter with you? And you go, absolutely nothing to the glory of Jesus Christ. Puritan Joseph um, Carroll says this, Perfect holiness is the aim of saints on earth, and it is the reward of saints in heaven. I find great hope that this struggle with sin is one day going to end. Don't you? Man, I can't wait for that day. I'm longing for that day to come. But until it does, I'm going to keep struggling with sin. Who is it that purifies? Who does this sanctifying? In our passage, it seems pretty cut and dry, doesn't it? 1 Thessalonians 5.23 Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Later on it says, he will surely do it. If you're taking notes, jot down Philippians 1.6. Philippians 1.6 backs this verse up. It says this, He, God, who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Do you see how a, a cult could form off of just these two verses that leave nothing for us as people to do? We can live our life however we want. We just let go and let God... And we just say, look, I've got scripture backing me up. God's working his sanctification in me. Yeah, but you're living like a wicked wretch. Uh, that's okay. God's got this under control. We don't remove scripture out of context. We don't just cherry pick our verses. But that clearly points out that this is God's work. That is great news, and we celebrate that and sing about that. But in God's wisdom, he doesn't leave it there. He leaves us, keeps us as active participants in this hagiadzo process, in this process of purification, in this process of maturing and becoming complete and holy. God leaves us as active participants in the whole deal. Now, you may not believe me, but I have taught my children to walk on water. I had a little help. Um, I, I had to keep some of them from wanting to do this uh, from, from the time they could almost not even walk 
And I had some of them where I had to kind of coax them to come out with me. But let me show you how I taught them to do this. Uh, I would get in the water, and I would strap my feet into these bindings. And then I would take said child, and I would have them put their feet right here and right here, right next to mine, just like that. And we would sit in the water, and if any of you have ever water skied or wakeboarded, you sit behind a boat, and you're floating there like this, right? And when you're ready, you say what? Hit it. Yeah, they invented that in the 70s, and it's carried on. It's pretty awesome. Hit it! And what happens is you begin to get up, you pop up, and you're riding suddenly like this, right? And here's what it looks like. This is my daughter, Briley. And as I'm riding, I'm holding on, and I'm holding her body. She is not attached to this in any way, shape, or form. She is just being held on by me. And when they're okay with it, we begin to carve a little bit. And then, oh, I was going to check with you in advance, Briley. Are you okay with me using this picture? I always check with my kids, except for this morning. She said yes. So we cruise around, and then I say, we're going to go outside that wake. Have you ever been behind the boat? It's kind of scary at first, right? The wake looks intimidating. And then we slide down the wake. And pretty soon, with this child at this size, you can sit there and you can carve it up wakeboarding holding this child. Now, here's why I bring this picture up. I couldn't do everything for my children as they learn to wakeboard, and they could not wakeboard without my participation in it with them. There's this partnership that goes on. 1 Thessalonians 5.22, one verse in front of our passage today, shows like back-to-back our role in this, God's role in this. What I would do is I would have the child begin to slowly hold on to the rope. Usually they're scared and they're hanging on to my arm or whatever, I begin to teach them, here, you hold on to the rope. And then I let go with one hand, and I let them begin to feel the pull of that, right? And we begin to slowly transition them to a place where I won't be in the water with them. But in their responsibility and my responsibility, look at, look at 1 Thessalonians 5.22. It says this, abstain from every form of evil. Is that your responsibility or God's responsibility? Answer me. It's our responsibility, right? God's enablement, but it's our responsibility. Next verse. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Is that God's responsibility or our responsibility? God's. We don't help him with that. He will surely do it. We don't have any say in whether he will or not. That's entirely up to him. I want you to realize this over and over in Scripture. These sit side by side in the same exact letter, this partnership, this dance that goes on. God has left you an active participant in your own holiness. If you skew this either way, you, you wipe out significantly. If you think this is all you, you will fail miserably and be exceedingly frustrated. Briley at this age probably wasn't strong enough to feel the weight of the boat and, and, and get pulled up. The now part of this purifying process is only done in the spirit. Galatians 3, in fact, says the, the flesh is no help at all. Paul's writing, he says this, Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Think about this. What if you were up wakeboarding and you were snapping turns, you were jumping the wake, you were doing all kinds of great tricks and having a lot of fun, and then you decide at some point, you know what, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take up aerials, I'm going to do a backflip now. 
But I no longer need the boat, and I no longer need a rope. I'm good with just this. I've got this. That's utter foolishness, right? For both of us, for both Briley and I, to get up, we had, we had need of something outside of ourselves. We needed power outside of ourselves, or else it's just kind of a boring day at the lake, right? We splash around on a really uncomfortable board, you know, we swim, we can go faster than others, but it's way different when a boat is involved and a rope is involved, right? The Holy Spirit, God's enabling power in us, is what allows us literally to walk on water and live life in a completely different way than we ever could in the flesh. How much change does God want to, uh, for us? Look at, look at verse 23. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless. I'm not going to really dive into this. We're going to leave that for community groups or if you're doing this as a family this summer because your community group's on break, take a look at this. But here's the bottom line with that. He's talking about completeness. God wants it all. We all know that our bodies just do things that our, that our heart has already given itself to. If you ever have an affair, know that your heart was given over to that long before your body acted on that. All of our wandering, all of our sin struggles, all the things that we go after uh, begin in the mind. They form in the spirit and the heart and in the emotion and in our thought life. I've got loads of scripture in your community questions this week just to begin reading some of those scriptures and realize how carefully God says to guard your hearts. Why? It's the wellspring of life. Your body is soon going to follow. So guard it. All right, built into the text are some sort of new normals for the ever-changing Christian. These are sort of the what of, of what God uses to change us. There's some divine enablement here. What I want you to do is this. I want you to see that each of these sort of must be used by faith. In the same way that I'm sitting here behind the boat and I have just faith that, that something other than me is going to get me up out of the water, I'm going to show you some things from the text that frankly, if you've grown up in church, sound rather unimpressive. It seems like, uh, yeah, we've heard those before. But by faith, if we will walk in them, if we will engage in them, these are the what? These are the means, not an exhaustive list, but these are the means of how God changes us. These are the ways that he has given us divine enablement. Here's the first one. It's God's very character. The text says this, he's the God of peace. He's faithful. These people in Thessalonica had experienced peace with God and peace with one another. One of the miracles that goes on with our um, with our salvation is that we begin to have peace. You begin to have peace with who you are. You begin to have peace in your relationships. That flows from peace with God. And they've experienced this. The only way that you grow up more and more in this is through the enabling power of God's peace. How about His faithfulness? God is trustworthy in every respect. This gives the Christian great security that God will come through on his promises. Isn't it good news that our hope um, does not rest on our ability to live up to God's standards, but on his never failing to come through on his word? That's good news. Our hope isn't resting on our track record. Praise God. Our our Hope is to walk in God's way and know that God comes through on his promises. God, you're the one who started me on this journey. 
I feel in a valley of shadow of death right now, you're going to be faithful to see this through. You're going to complete this thing. And there are seasons in our life where we go, man, that had to be all God. One commentator put it this way, it's not our feeble hold of God that makes us secure, but God's strong hold of us. Here's the second thing, prayer. His very character enables holiness in us, but another means is prayer. Any missionary knows that their success in their spiritual work depends on the prayers of the saints. They are reliant on this spiritual work that they're trying to do. They are reliant on spiritual means to accomplish that spiritual work. For their part, the church body that doesn't go out to sea on some missionary journey, their part is to participate in the work in supporting those brothers and sisters who do go in prayer. We stand before the throne of grace and we cry out to God for their evangelistic effort. I happened to be here yesterday when our Mexico team came rolling in. And they had been up since four in the morning. They left Mexico. They had a clean border cross. Um, in years past, we've had some different things go on. I said, no stitches? Nope. No, uh, you know, no severe this, no that? Nope. No car breakdown? Nope. Great. That's good news. Now, how did the rest of the trip go? And we got to catch up a little bit. They all made it back safe and sound. It was a great trip. I hope you took me up on my challenge last Sunday to pray for them daily. To just remember brothers and sisters, 20 or so of our church family that got to go. Those who didn't get to go aren't off the hook. We are part of this. Here's a little friendly challenge to you. Maybe if you didn't pray for them daily, or maybe if you completely forgot to pray at all, maybe you ought to go next time the trip comes around. And here's why. Maybe you being down there will give you this renewed sense of, man, day by day, minute by minute, hour by hour, God, I need your help in this. We are living in close quarters with people that we're not used to living in close quarters with. That can get really frustrating. We are doing things that we, we sense are being spiritually opposed here. God, we're seeing great and amazing things happen. If you've ever been in that situation, if you've ever been out on faith, you know and you value the prayers of the saints. Amen? So it's a friendly challenge, but I'm serious. Maybe you ought to go. You go do a little toe dip one week of your life, and it will cause you to pray. When you don't go, it will cause you to pray in a different way for those who are out there. By the way, in a couple of weeks, we're going to take our entire Sunday, and we're just going to get reports and feedback. We have some really cool things planned in a couple of weeks just to hear about all the different things going on from missionaries that our little church supports. It's going to be an exciting time. So prayer is certainly a means. Um, there's a second category, by the way. We have, I don't know if you know this, um, but we have five families right now, five, that are going through the process of being approved by the, by the county of Santa Clara to take in foster kids into their home. Um, about three of them are exceedingly close to receiving a placement of a child. In addition to five families that are going through this process as sort of the point of the spear, there are four families that are around each of these families called support families. Many of you are sitting here in this room today. You are called to link arms with these people and not just pray, but provide babysitting and meals and support and just coverage as these families reach out and move forward. This is in addition, by the way, to many families in our church who have taken a step of faith through adoption and foster care just to be Christ to those who have no family. 
This is a powerful spiritual battle that these five families in particular are entering into and are in the heat of right now. When you don't know what to pray for your church family, would you lift up the Collins family and the Jackson family and the Humphreys um, and the James family? Um, who am I missing? And the Routens. Would you remember to pray for them? Would you remember to lift those families up? For some more ideas on prayer, last week we rattled through a whole bunch of ideas. Here's another one. Family togetherness. God sanctifies us through each other. Ministering to one another is a means of grace. You know what's a healthy sign of this church? A healthy sign of this church is this. When I say amen or when the worship leader closes the service, that you don't all escape like it's the last day of finals. Right? Uh, you've been in churches like that. I mean, they just, they're like, whoa, I got my time. That went two minutes over. It's killing me. This is a church that just lingers. And do you know that worship continues as you minister to one another? Now, by the way, if you have an appointment after church this week, you're like, man, that really puts me in a tough spot. Go ahead and leave. No judgment, okay? Let's commit. No judgment to those who have to leave quickly after church today. But isn't it a healthy sign that we want to linger, right? That's like the family reunion officially closing and everyone just bolts the moment it's over. And I love that. That's a great sign. We are ministering to one another, and that's worship. What if you came every single Sunday and just said, God, I'm here to serve you. I'm here to receive. Would you give me eyes to see who and how I could minister to other people before, during, and after service today? And we have people that do that on a regular basis, many people who do that. Let's stoke that fire and keep it going. This holy kiss. Um, I grew up in the church, and... um, you know, there's always seasons of people who try to use this holy, holy kiss, right? And they're like, hey, it's scriptural. Let me, let me lay one on you. You know, and you're like, no, that's just not going to happen. Um, that has happened long ago. It's happened, you know, when I was growing up in church. It will happen, okay? If you want to be biblical, then here's what you could do. You could offer a hearty handshake to that person, right? Um, we had people in our college ministry that it's like, I think I know why you're coming to college ministry. It has very little to do with God, Right? A cultural equivalent of the holy kiss is a hearty handshake. Some of you are huggers. Give them a hug, right? But if someone comes up and they're like, it's like the biblical mistletoe. They're like, hey, can I kiss you? Just say, no, you can't. But here's a hearty handshake for you, brother or sister. Now, get away from me. (laughs) By the way, in ministering together, if this is your total church experience, let me tell you, you are missing out on a whole nother half to church life. Church life is not just Sunday mornings. This is an important part of what we do and sort of the rhythm of our family life. But if you are not meeting together with smaller groups of people, we form community groups to kind of foster this and generate this, and they work amazing. I look forward to and love my time on Thursday night with with our men's group. I get that there are seasons of time where your schedule does not allow for you to be in a group, but we, we do sort of a lecture lab format here. This is the lecture part. A lot of you are just staring at me. One person's talking. This is not the totality of biblical church. This is an important part of it. We're called to preach the word. The lab part of it's where you get in there, you mess with it, you try it yourself, you're pouring the chemicals, you're discussing. Hey, how does this really work? What does rejoice always really look like? I'm down in the dumps today. Am I sinning? Let's talk about that. Let's massage this into our life. Let's really let it take root. So, man, I can't plead with you enough to let both wings of the church go on. 
The final means that, or, or the next means that he mentions is the Bible. Verse 27, I put under oath before the Lord to have this read to all the brothers. Why is, why this serious charge from Paul to make sure that this letter is read to the churches? Because it's mission critical. Why, when you come to Neighborhood Bible Church, do we ensure that whoever is standing up here is preaching from this book and not the latest pop psychology book that they read or just opinions that they have formed? Because this is mission critical that there is high biblical content in our gatherings. Our midweek community groups, we open the Bible. We want you to bring your Bible. If you're not using your Bible in your community groups, you're doing it wrong. Let someone know. Let your community group know. Hey, shouldn't we have the book open? This is mission critical. Just look at these verses from Jesus. Jesus gave us a pattern of how the Word shapes our life. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in Him, If you abide in My Word, you are truly My disciples. John 8, My words find no place in you. That's why you seek to kill Me. Also in verse 8, Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps My Word, he will never see death. The one who rejects me and does not receive my word has a judge. The word I have spoken will judge him on the last day. This is a tiny snippet of the things. If anyone keeps my word, and my father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. Did Jesus speak to Hagiadzo? Did Jesus speak to the purification process? Look at this verse sanctify them in the truth. He's praying to his Father, your word is truth. You want significant, lasting, good change? Be a person of the book. Good words tend to grow us up into godly lives. Bad words lead us astray. You know this to be true in your life. When you find yourself in cul-de-sac living, when you find your life exploding again, you have believed something that is not true. Your imagination, your will, your desires have been shaped and formed by things that aren't straight and true. Get back to the Word. Finally, he mentions the amazing grace of God. Verse 28, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Let me invite the band to come on up right now. We're going to sing a passage out of the Bible. Oftentimes we sing scripture and you don't even know it. Sometimes you recognize it. You go, I think that's scripture they're singing. Sometimes we call it out specifically. But Jude 24 is a song that we're about to sing. It's not called Jude 24, but that's where it's taken from. I want this to allow us to kind of lead into a time of response and one of the practical ways we're going to do that is this. Pray without ceasing. Do you know that on a week-by-week -week basis, you have the freedom, church, as a church body, to just respond as God's calling you to respond. Oftentimes, we are just singing a song. But I hope that this is a place where you do business with God. I hope this is a place where you pray and seek to hear from God and seek to, to minister to one another. It might be completely appropriate during a worship setting to get up and go minister and just sit with someone that God has put on your heart. Just put your arm around them. Here's how we're going to close off our time this morning.
as the band plays, they're going to sing and lead us, but they're also just going to keep music going. And I would just invite you to collectively be together in God's presence. If you would like to come up to the front and pray, there's nothing magical about coming to the altar, about coming forward, but there is something significant, isn't it, when our body says, enough of me doing this on my own. I'm going to come and bow my knee and just pray at the foot of the cross. Come and do that. We're going to be singing. We're going to be praying. Um, Let's do that together. If we could uh, just close our prayer. God, I pray that as we move into this time, that the words that we say would be more than words, God. I pray that as we sing your truth back to you, that you would have your way in us, God, that you would change us from the inside out.